Myriad Genetics proudly presents the Modern Urologist Podcast. This casual yet educational podcast is committed to keeping you informed on all things urology so you can continue to provide the highest level of care for your patients. Hi, I'm Dr. Thomas Slavin. I am the Chief Medical Officer of Mirror Genetics. Welcome to the Modern Urologist. Today I am joined by Dr. Gandhi, a urologist at Potomac Urology in Northern Virginia. Welcome to the podcast, Dr. Gandhi. Well, thank you. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. I'm excited. This will be fun. Yeah. Well, first, uh, maybe tell the audience a little bit about yourself and uh, you know why you chose urology in the first place. Yeah. So I'm 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 Neil Gandhi. Um, I'm in Northern Virginia with Potomac Urology, as you mentioned. I trained at Johns Hopkins University, um, and then I've been down here since 2015. Um, we've got a growing young practice, which is fun and exciting. And it's just really allowed me to, uh, private practice has really just allowed me to branch out into things that I didn't ever see myself doing in practice. And, and that's been the fun of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's really fun. Yeah. So, um, actually interesting story. Um, my father's a pediatrician like yourself and, uh, you know, I always thought I'd go into pediatrics, but, um, just wasn't my thing. Um, so, after having a couple of knee surgeries, I was convinced I'd go into orthopedics. Um, again, just not my thing and really didn't know what I wanted to go into um, after going through um, our rotations. But um, in, in medical school, I was actually able to um, do a pediatric urology rotation. I met a patient who um, had spina bifida, uh, wheelchair bound, and um, was a uh, Special Olympics uh, gold medalist. And he was extremely proud of it. And I would just, I would talk to him. And, you know, he told me how his pediatric urologist changed his life from being incontinent and smelling and just to having control, uh, being able to catheterize and and really just control um, his his functions. And, And that just kind of was really eye opening to me that a urologist could do that. And I didn't know much about urology. And so as I learned more about it and, and kind of did rotations on adult urology and learned that you get to play with lasers and, and deal with robots and, and mm-hmm. even, you know, you have the potential to, to cure cancer uh, with detecting prostate cancer at an early stage. You really can cure people of cancer, which, you know, in, in the word of cancer is somewhat strange to think of, mm-hmm. but to really yeah. say that you can cure cancer. I think was just very eye-opening to me and and I haven't looked back ever since and and you know likely the best decision I've ever made outside of marrying my wife. That's great. Um and uh you know you've always been a, a big uh, patient advocate I hear. Um what tell us a little bit about uh pie for prostate. Yeah, so I, I think on a previous episode um you guys have talked to the the company Zero, the end of prostate cancer. And so I'm, I'm heavily involved with them, um, have a great relationship. And um, so, you know, we were looking for ways to really spark interest in prostate cancer awareness. Um, you know, there's the annual prostate um, cancer run walk, but we weren't having such great attendance. Um, you know, certain uh, normal patients would show up regularly, but uh, we weren't having much growth. So we were trying to find different ways to really make a fun um, way to raise awareness. And so we came up with this, um, you know, pies for prostate campaign uh, awareness. And 
it was, it actually, it went pretty well. We, we did a spot on, you know, if we could raise a certain amount of money in a certain amount of time, a flash, you know, uh, raise, then I would get a pie to the face. And so they're on stage. Um, and I think we've got like YouTube footage of this. It's, it's quite funny. Um, our practice administrator, you know, after all, all the torture I put her through, um, being my administrator, she, she gladly, uh, slammed a pie into my face. Um, as, as we met our race, sure, it was very satisfying. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, um, but that was in 2019 and so 2020 COVID hit. And so, you know, all these events were canceled. Um, but as you know, you know, there's still patients with prostate cancer. There's mm -hmm. still awareness that needs to be done just because of a pandemic doesn't mean that all these efforts stop. So, um, so we created a virtual pies for prostate mm -hmm. uh, campaign and, and we were able to raise almost $25,000 during a pandemic, um, for prostate cancer awareness through this campaign. So something I'm definitely very proud of and, uh, and we'll continue to promote. So who's hitting you in the face virtually? Well, <laughs> so I, I, I decided to pie it forward. And I, I lovingly volunteered people that as we met certain goals at 5,000, 10,000, you know, 15,000, that certain people would get pied rather than myself. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I, I learned my lesson from the first year. <laughs> well, that's great. No, thanks for all you're doing for patients. Um, I mean, you know, you have a different perspective, I think, coming into uh, urology. I mean, uh, uh, you know, you're a younger urologist. Um, you know, how do you really see how the field is changing from your vantage point? Yeah, I think um, I'm, I'm living through it right now. I think we're seeing a lot of these changes where, um, you know, at, at conferences, it, it's a very big topic amongst a lot of practices that there's a considerable amount of retiring urologists and there are not enough graduating urologists to help fill that need. And as urologists um, are getting older, um, you know, more than half of the practicing urologists are already over the age of 55. Um, yeah. That, you know, in our practice, our average age is about 46. We really, you know, steer on the younger side, but um, I think there's significant value that comes with that. There's a lot of fresh ideas. There's a lot of new things that um, become incorporated that a lot of medicine, unfortunately, becomes muscle memory, becomes mm -hmm. habit. That I was trained to do this, even if it was 30 years ago. And, um, you know, continuing medical education does help to try and, you know, keep everyone fresh and updated. But some habits are, are hard to break. Oh, yeah. I think. Yeah having these young, young blood coming in really kind of forces you to think that, can we be doing it a different way? Can we be doing mm -hmm. better? You know, the growing forces for advanced practice providers are, are strong. So you're seeing a lot of physician assistants, a lot of nurse practitioners coming into urology and there's a lot of, you know, uh, support for this because the growing uro urologic needs are high. And so to meet that demand, you need, you need a workforce. What are some of the, any examples there that you, you see between uh, some of the, the younger urologists and the older practicing urologists in clinic? Yeah. Um, I can tell you technology is a big thing. Um, mm -hmm. Just, you know, rolling out with, I think we all noticed this during the pandemic, but QR codes became very popular um, and they've been around for a while, but just people never really adopted it. Now yeah. it's somewhat, standard. Um, but 
Can't even um, go to a restaurant now without a QR code. Absolutely. No one wants to give you a physical menu. <laughs> so, um, you know, we, we've seen just the adoption of technology in our practice grow tremendously with, um, you know, televisits during the pandemic and then shifting now towards patient education, um, YouTube channels, all these things that really allow for um, the way, you know, the younger generation accesses information more than the traditional going to a doctor's office, having a conversation. I mean, I think Google has really changed so much of that mm -hmm. you know, patient physician relationship. Yeah, it has greatly changed. I mean, across the board. I mean, if you think of, <clears throat> you know, even you brought up continuing medical education. I mean, you know, if you see what's happening even with meetings now, I mean, you know, where a lot of meetings are uh, getting hybrid components to it, but, um, you know, people are largely, I think, in, in the clinical side, getting a lot of information, as you mentioned, from the web, from, you know, there's just information is just so uh, bountiful now from all over. Yeah. And I think it's, it's good and bad. Um, I think from a patient standpoint, um, you know, they may have trouble determining what's a valid source versus what's just, you know, a random person's blog. Um, I think from the, the clinician standpoint, you know, we have certain uh, vetted out websites we'll check, or a lot of people have up-to-date subscriptions through their EMRs, things that we can use um, to assess, you know, different new clinical guidelines rather than just a simple Google search. But I, I think the use of technology is, is, you know, rampant. Um, I think in a younger generation, I think we're starting to see that evolve um, with some of our younger doctors and, mm -hmm. you know, they come with a different perspective as well. Um, I still consider myself one of the younger doctors. So, um, but you know, you're young until you're old. <laughs> exactly. I like that. <laughs> um, and it's just, you know, we see that they have a lot of different ideas that um, I feel when I joined our practice, I would come with, you know, fresh set of eyes of, things we could try. And, you know, every, every doctor that, that gets hired kind of has that same opportunity. And so it's, it, we owe it to them to listen to these ideas um, as we, as we try to improve our patient care, our patient access and our patient education. Yeah. Well said. Um, how do you see patients using social media in practice? So most of it right now um, is with um, televisits doing video visits. I think, mm -hmm. um, that's, you know, technology has really allowed that with, you know, iPhones or Androids allowing for video chats. You know, this has become just something that's just normal that people do yeah. with their family members. Um, most of my televisits are funny because, you know, you'll have patients, you know, at work, you'll have patients on a beach, you know, very rarely do you have patients, you know, sitting at a desk dedicated to, to this visit, but yeah. um, it just becomes part of their normal day. Um, I think social media for us, patient education platform, um, something that we can post um, what to expect before a mm -hmm. surgery, what to expect after a surgery, um, something that, you know, is repetitive. We tell the same speech to certain patients. This really allows patients to view the video of what to expect. So they know before the procedure or after the procedure, what's normal, what's not normal, when to call rather than constantly calling with different questions. So I think that's where the biggest utility for us has been is with patient education. Yeah. And a few pies to the face, it sounds. All right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I know when it comes to genetic testing in particular, a lot of people out there are 
you know, when it comes to the patient side, um, you know, it comes up on searches uh, and they bring that information in, into practices. Um, you know, how are you seeing the role of genetic testing in prostate cancer detection and treatment evolving? Yeah, I think, I think prostate cancer is at a great uh, stepping stone right now. And it's, it's actually quite exciting to be involved in it. Um, we've seen what's happened with breast cancer and prostate cancer, unfortunately has lagged by about 50 years, but you've seen changes with breast cancer from, um, doing, you know, total mastectomies to doing focal therapies, to doing genetic screening and, and preventative measures. And I think we're starting to now see that with prostate cancer, we're starting to learn a lot more that it is quite similar to breast cancer. We are learning that, you know, maybe doing a, a radical prostatectomy or a whole gland radiation therapy may not, you know, be needed for certain patients. And I think there's a lot of uh, research going into this about the utility of focal therapy for treatment for prostate cancer. And I think we're entering that era of personalized medicine and patients mm -hmm. are becoming more aware of that. You're seeing more commercials about it, but um, you know, with the widespread availability of both genomic testing and genetic testing, we're now able to finally get down to the nitty gritty of, you know, a patient specific tumor. Usually we give statistics related to a patient's prostate cancer that if you have a Gleason four plus four equals eight, this is your chance for metastatic disease. This is your chance for, you know, cancer specific, um, survival, mm -hmm. but those are statistics that, you know, the way I describe to a patient that, you know, out of a hundred patients, not every patient's going to follow that, that line. Right. And, you know, patients ultimately don't care about the other 99 patients. They want to know about themselves and what does my Gleason eight cancer mean? And so mm -hmm. I think they're more aware and attuned to, um, personalized medicine. And I think that's where you're seeing a lot of this, um, utilization of the internet, social media to really search that. Because I think, unfortunately, from a clinician standpoint, you know, we're still figuring a lot of this out from a research standpoint, but there's a lot of barriers to implementing that within clinical practice as well. Yeah. Um, and are you using um, these tests in your practice in, you know, partnership with the patient to help guide their care? So say, for instance, the Gleason 8 patient, I mean, are you using genomic tests on top of that to, you know, modify your recommendations or have shared decision-making? Yeah. So I think from uh, initial diagnosis, we do try to incorporate genomics um, right off the bat at the time of biopsy to help with those decisions that um, we do discuss with patients that it's not, you know, what that test tells us is not going to determine your treatment, but it's another data point, just like PSA, just like an MRI, just like a Gleason score. These are all data points that we have to take together to create the whole picture. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, gene so, expression profiling on the tumor, absolutely. I guess, just for the, the audience is what we're kind of uh, zone, you know, um, I guess honing in on, I should say. Yeah. And, and, but it's become so more prevalent and, our conversations with patients are a lot more pointed because now we can give specific risk about, um, you know, metastasis and mortality at five years, 10 years, 15 years to that patient. Yeah. Yeah. And what about the, uh, um, tumor is metastatic or advanced or using genomics in that context too, to think about therapy selection or, um, you know, work with the medical oncology colleagues. 
Yeah, so a, a lot of times in, in those instances has been where um, we've tried to really utilize um, the genetic testing um, to really identify if they have any true uh, mutational changes that, you know, would have some benefit with, you know, um, the newer treatments that have emerged with mm -hmm. some of these ARP inhibitors. Um, I think, you know, one of the things that helped to change our education for this was the ability to dispense these medications through our pharmacy. Mm -hmm. um, and so creating an in-office dispensary has allowed us to be more educated about these certain medications, as well as how to identify the patients, therefore how to incorporate genetic testing into our practice. And I think, you know, it, it's very different because you're looking at the end game of this medication and well, how, what do you have to do to, to, you know, find a patient who's eligible for this medication. Mm -hmm. But that I think has allowed us to really enter into this genetic testing and understand um, who's a candidate and who we really should be testing to, you know, find out the patients that would benefit the most. Mm -hmm. and, and there you're talking about, just to be clear, um, uh, blood-based uh, genetic testing. Correct. Like, and especially in the metastatic patients. Yeah. Of their mom yep. and dad genetics. Yes. Uh, to understand. Absolutely. And what about, um, uh, do you ever use then tumor testing too? Some, you know, some, sometimes you can, you know, grind up the tumor, look for mutations and things like that. Uh, that would go a lot of times, you know, it can include obviously things like PARP inhibitors, but often it, it starts getting into, um, um, you know, precision diagnostics. Yeah. I, I think we're heading in that direction. And so I think there's a lot of, lack of education, I think, in terms of on the clinician's standpoint of who truly could benefit from those tests, mm -hmm. um, as well as, you know, the financial impact. I think there's a lot of concern regarding, um, will this be covered by insurance? Will my patients get a bill? And a lot of that uncertainty leads to, you know, maybe I shouldn't order it because I don't really have an answer for my patient. And so, um, you know, we've somewhat dedicated some resources towards working with patients on that um, so that we can make sure that will it be covered for them. Um, but I think one thing I've learned is having that upfront conversation, even if I don't know if it's covered or not, um, if I feel it's something that can benefit them from a cancer standpoint, most patients will elect to move forward with it. And I, I think as you know, we started this this discussion about being the patient's best advocate. I firmly believe in that. And a lot of that means that I need to also offer them all of their options, um, regardless of cost, but, you know, letting them know that this is also a possibility to get more data. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask, uh, what kind of barriers. So it sounds like cost is a, a big one. And, and that, you know, it's, uh, this is um, cutting edge. So this is the modern urologist. So, you know, it's, uh, you know, the implementation of genetics and genomics, uh, both on the tumor side, the, the mom and dad genetic side to help guide therapy. Um, th that is uh, really emerging right now. And, uh, you know, guidelines are changing yearly and incorporating more and more and different indications. And, um, you know, in insurance companies are trying to figure out how they're going to uh, pay for these, um, you know, and, and what they want to pay for and which indication. So, um, you know, it is really in flux. So that, that's an important point. Yeah. And I, I think, you know, a lot of this is um, we do try to stay cutting edge as you're, as you're saying, you know, that's one of our goals with our practice to be able to offer patients the latest that's available. Unfortunately, you know, insurances do lag behind in that. Um, and then that can sometimes 
come at a detriment. Um, mm -hmm. we, we may sometimes have upset patients who end up with a large bill and they say, you know, no one told me I, I would be getting this large bill. So um, there, there are some bumps in the road as we go through this process. But, you know, at the end of the day, I do believe it is something that is more beneficial for patients to have that information um, that not only can impact them, but can impact their, their loved ones. Yeah, yeah well said. Do you see any other barriers in practice to implementation? You had spoken a little bit about education. Anything else that you see? When you talk about the barriers, it's very tough when you have like 10 docs in your practice and, you know, everyone's kind of trying to do this and dabble in it. Um, it's hard to understand all the nuances associated with it. But if you have like two or three champions who that this is what they do day in and day out, it's really, you become an expert in that area. You become someone who's like, oh yeah, I know how to navigate the the insurance aspect. I know what's approved. I know that. So, um, mm -hmm. you know, that's something we're trying to, with our practice now, we've got a couple of champions dedicated towards like advanced, couple of champions dedicated towards localized. And, you know, so those champions are kind of trained, like who are candidates. And so we can start incorporating this in more. That's great. Um, you know, now we have some advanced prostate cancer champions, my partner, Dr. Desai and, uh, our nurse practitioner, Antona, they're prostate cancer champions. So alongside me, I kind of oversee the program and then they're kind of helping mm -hmm. to kind of, uh, implement it. So that's why this is kind of one of the next phases we're trying to bring in this year. No, that's really nice. Well, thank you so much for coming on Dr. Gandhi. Uh, this was, uh, very, uh, informative for me. Uh, I loved, uh, hearing your perspective on, um, you know, how, uh, it is emerging as a younger, uh, urologist in, in, uh, clinic and, you know, trying to think about all the, the, uh, advancements in the field at the same time of trying to take care of your patients and reduce financial toxicity. Um, you know, thinking about the barriers that they're facing and, uh, we covered a lot of ground, even, um, you know, the social media and the, the aspects of, um, uh, you know, web and, and how patients and clinicians are really using this information to, um, you know, try to educate themselves and uh, do the best to improve prostate cancer care. So, just want to say thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. Uh, hope our listeners uh, learned something. I know I did. Yeah, no. Well, thank you for having me. And uh, hopefully we'll get you to sign up for a, a, a pie for prostate oh, yeah. campaign here soon. So, <laughs> you know, I think, I think by bringing it up, you've now signed yourself up. So get ready. <laughs> That's fine. Maybe I'll, I'll take a pie to the face. <laughs> well, thank you again. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. This podcast is brought to you by Myriad Genetics. If you'd like to learn more about our genetic testing solutions to personalize prostate cancer treatment, visit myriad.com. If you like what you're hearing, make sure to share, subscribe, or leave us a review. Until next time.